Hey, future Black and Latinx leaders. You are listening to the Keys to the Office podcast, where we interview amazing professionals who share their individual career paths to set you up for success. We're giving you the keys to the office, and all you need to do is show up ready to unlock the door. Let's jump into today's episode. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Keats family. I am so excited. We have the honor and the privilege of being joined by Ms. Sophie Abdul-Razak today, co-founder of co-founder and CEO of Good Fine, right? If you haven't heard of it, I don't know where you live, um, but it's an app for food trucks, right? So as a foodie, um, at my core, a foodie. Um, I love food trucks, right? I'm born and raised, as you all know, in New York City. And I remember working in Midtown and like going to the little food trucks um, during my lunch break. Um, So we are like, behind the scenes going to talk about all things funding, venture capital, startup, fintech, like notepads ready, pens ready. If you want to talk about raising money, we have the person um, here with us today. So without further ado, welcome, Sophie, to the podcast. Oh my gosh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Same, same, same. So we've talked a little bit. Um, I am here in Virginia. You are in New York. I'm actually from New York and here in Virginia. You are from Virginia and there in New York. Um, tell us who you are. Tell us what you do. I'm I'm so excited. Oh my gosh. I, I mean, at my core, I'm just a girl from Richmond. So shout out Richmond, Virginia. Yes. It's RBA. Um, <laughs> all day. Um, and I, I'm, you know, I'm a CEO of a fintech company. That's, that's what I do day in and day out. And my path here was, wasn't linear at all. I wow. thought I was going to be a lawyer. I went to law school, so I'm recovering from that every day. Um, but I really found, a love for, you know, fintech through my first job at Wells Fargo, um, and then a love for products when I was working, you know, on building Salesforce Philanthropy Cloud and um, being able to put the love of fintech with my love of product. Um, and I still use my lawyering skills. Yes, um, as you should. They're, they're powerful skills to have for all the lawyers out there. Um, I was able to, you know, build this company with two of my really good friends um, and, and help out a really deserving industry. Um, and, and so my work is also impactful, um, and, and I'm, I'm loving it. So it's a, a windy road. We'll get into it more, but, but who I am in my core, a girl from Richmond that just happens to, to be a CEO, which is, which is, you know, kind of feels like living the dream. Yes. Yes, it does. What high school did you go to here in Richmond? Oh my gosh. So I went to Tucker High. Okay. Yep. Went to Tucker. Um, and, and then went to undergrad at Virginia Tech. So I stayed in Virginia until, until my early twenties. And then I kind of ventured off, um, to a little bit of everywhere, but yeah, Virginia girl. (laughs) I've been, I left here a couple of times before this most recent time. So I went to St. Catharines on Grove Avenue for boarding school, way back in the day. Um, my first two years of high school, I left New York and, and decided I was going to go to an all girls boarding school, but anyway, fun times. Um, so you go from Tucker to tech and you're like, I'm going to be a lawyer, right? Yeah. You just knew. And you follow that path. Yeah. Um, 
talk to me a little bit about how you feel, and and I know this is this is the case for sure, but how you feel that education has lent itself well to your role now in the fintech space. Yeah, sorry, you cut off a little bit there, but how do mm-hmm. I? Get into- no, no, you're fine. Um, but I thought I heard you say like, how did I? How do I feel about getting into my role in the fintech space? So how how did your education? in legal space, like lend itself well to you being in the fintech space. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So luckily for me, I've always been a techie. Like I've always loved tech when I was going to law school and I went to law school after grad school. I mean, I went all the way. I went undergrad, grad school. All the way. uh, Um, It's a Nigerian in me. And I, and so (laughs) when I was, um, I've always been a techie and my first job out of, out of undergrad was in the fintech space. So I was at Wells Fargo for three years. I worked full time while going to the University of Denver undergrad in D- um, uh, in Denver, Colorado. And so I really, it was kind of there that I started to get like my love for like fintech tools and services, how payments work. I was in wholesale loan services and mm. it was, it was, it was really, really powerful for me um, to see how money moved through a bank, right? And the yeah. bank was really focused on technological advances. Mm-hmm. And so when I went to law school um, at American University in DC, I had already had it in my head that the type of law that I wanted to practice would have something to do with tech. Um, mm-hmm. And there weren't a lot of tech lawyer classes. And so what I fell into was like privacy and data security, right? And and a lot of interplay with how money, how money exchanges and the need to keep people's most, um, you know, self-identifying information private Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. through like technologies and transactions and things like that. And so I really leaned into classes that were about like tech and the law, privacy and the law, those types of things. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I, you know, graduated, I really was, you know, more of what I would call like a privacy lawyer or a privacy focused um, lawyer. And that lends very well to fintech, right? Because there's so much, there's something to be said, not only about building great product that works, but building great product that works that's secure. And when you're in fintech and when you're in payments, those things really do have to be married. And so the thing that I think my staff gets a little, you know, a little irritated about that's a nice this. word. <laughs> a little irritated is about how big I am on like privacy and and what that means, right? People are trusting us with from the consumer side with their card information, um, you know who they are, you know their phone numbers, things like that. Mm-hmm. And on the opposite side, with our you know our our B two B customer, our our food truck vendors, they're trusting us with their you know their business information as well. So for me having a privacy for first focus was the bare minimum, yeah, right? Yeah. It's like a really high bar because most people try to skip over privacy and build it in later. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, I got to build for this high threshold first because I want to be a reputable company, a, per- a place where people can, um, you know, trust that their information is safe and that this is a, a app and a platform that they can come back to and know that they know that we're going to protect them you know, and and as as well as give them this like ease of transactions, so the, the ability to find and locate and pay for for you know goods from food trucks, and so 
my legal experience lend very well to like me having that privacy first mindset. Like I'm mm-hmm. always thinking about the law. I'm always thinking about regulations. I'm always thinking about compliance to the like it's exhaustion. Like yeah. it is obsessive about it. But I think it it makes my company better. Um, because fit, so much of fintech is about data privacy, security, cybersecurity, those types of things. And so, um, yeah. you know, my legal background helps quite a bit. Um, but the love and, and how I ended up going to law school and thinking about the things I was thinking about was definitely, you know, starting off in the banking industry. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, And I'll say this, we see what happens when organizations don't prioritize that data privacy piece, right? Um, so the fact that it is mission critical for you. Like you're not accepting anything other than I think is important. Um, and even when I think about Good Find and a platform and, and really that food truck vendor, that's someone who's worked usually, right, very hard to build that business. I mean, we're talking about a lot of people who look like us in that space, black and brown people. Am I right? Like, I mean, I'm just thinking of my experience. No, absolutely. Um, Yeah. And and so we want to do our best, I think, as as I'm going to go out and say a social impact organization, right? I know, you know, that label gets thrown around sometimes, but we really are, you really are truly impacting Black and brown lives and livelihood. Um, and so when we think of social impact, far too often data privacy is like, eh, eh, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> oh oh yeah. my gosh. Tell me this. So I think of myself, right? I started in financial services back in 1999. And I knew the people sort of running the show um, didn't look like me. Mm-hmm. Um, in any way, shape or form, right? White men, to be quite frank about it. Um, In FinTech, as a Black woman, right? Talk to me about what your experience has been like. Um, Even like as you dig into securing venture capital, right? Mm -hmm. As a Black woman and what those challenges have looked like. Yeah, I mean, you know, what I have often said in particular about the fintech space is that if you want to be a black woman in this space, you just got to get comfortable with being yourself in spite Mm -hmm. of not seeing yourself. Right. And so say, wait, say that one more time. You have to be comfortable being yourself yourself in spite of not seeing yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for me, and I know this is hard and, and I don't want me to trivialize it or summarize it, but for me being my authentic self, is what, you know, wakes me up in the morning because I can't, you, they're there. I don't know a lot of black women, FinTech founders, right. Mm-hmm. I just, don't, I don't know them. Um, there's and, and not even women. Right. So like first and foremost, like I'm a woman and then I'm a black woman. Right. Like, so there's, there's, these, there's layers to it. And so I'm a, I'm a, like a subgroup within a subgroup. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we often feel othered. Um, And I made a commitment to myself that, right, like I've always been good at work. No, some people, people can be smarter than me. People can be a million things. You're never, ever going to outwork me. Wow. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get the job done. 
I saw my father do it. I saw my mother do it. So I know, you know, I always had that confidence of like, I'm not going to be outworked. I'm not going to be outmaneuvered because I'm going to put in the time every single time Mm. to get it right. And so knowing that about myself and having that type of confidence in myself made me say to my, you know, made me go into this, this career field saying, no matter what, I'm going to be me. However, that means for me, because, you know, there's levels to it. I've I've grown and changed over time, but I'm going to be my authentic self in whatever space that I'm in, because mm-hmm. I know I'm going to bring my A game yeah. no matter what. So wow. it doesn't matter that, you know, 99% of the people that are in this space don't look like me because I'm going to come to the table anyway. Ooh. <laughs> right? Ooh. I'm gonna questions anyway. I'm going to talk to you anyway. I'm not going to feel othered. I'm not going to feel less than, I'm not going to feel any of that. I'm going to be me. I'm going to know what value I'm bringing to the table and we can all speak as peers, right? I'm really good at what I do and you're really good at what you do. So let's value each other. And I go into every room with that expectation that I'm going to be valued no matter what. I don't care who's across the table. I really don't because I can be friends with anybody. Most of the people that I know in the fintech space are white males right? Mm-hmm. And they don't, they, they, I've never, because I come into the room and they know I'm not going to be other. They don't treat me as other. You see what I'm saying? Ooh. Much about how people treat you is about how you feel about yourself. And mm-hmm. again, I'm not, don't want to trivialize it. I don't want to make it seem like it's not I hard. You. Don't want to make it seem like the statistics are not out there because they are. But I believe when you go into a room, people are going to project back what you're projecting. You all about the energy. Yeah. It's all about the energy. Yeah. And my father made darn sure that I felt like no matter what room that I was in, that I could hold my own. And so I go in every room like that. It's, you can't, you can't, you can't reflect to me energy that I'm not giving you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Room is confidence. It's like, oh, hi, everyone. <laughs> right. Like only black woman here. What's up? Yeah. It does. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't bother me. And I'd leave the door open for other women, other of any race, right? But specifically Black women, because that's the the category that I represent, to come in the room too and do the same thing. Hey, what's up? Yeah. Right. Like I'm here to add value. I'm here to be valuable. I'm here to learn from the value that you have and give it right back. Right. It's an exchange. Mm-hmm. And so you're not, I don't, I'm not going to be subjected or boxed or anything like that. Yeah. And that authenticity that I carry with me is, is what's helped me to do that. Um, so from, for me, it's been, um, a welcomed experience because I welcome myself. <laughs> oh, I love I love the energy. I love the confidence. I love the determination, right? Like you've worked hard. You understand the value you bring to the table. There is no reason for you to project anything other than that. Yeah. Right. Regardless of who's in the room, Sophie is here and Sophie is bringing X, Y, and Z. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. You mentioned your parents, right? And, And your father. Talk to me about mentorship because I think just from hearing you it started at home right like yeah where did this come from where did the desire to 
to really own your space come from? And then beyond that, what mentors have you had as you've worked your way through FinTech into success, might I add? Yeah. Oh my gosh. No. So I've had powerful mentors and it did start at home. Like my dad is a first generation American. Um, he met my mom in college. He was her tutor. So oh, really love story. Yeah. <laughs> and, and when I, you know, growing up having an immigrant parent and, you know, you know, in a black American mom that, that grew up in a really powerful household, right? Like my, my grandmother's only 16 years older than my mom. She had been through segregation, but, but my grandfather had worked on the railroad and they had, you know, a lot of affordances that other black families didn't have. And my Mm. great grandmother was an entrepreneur. And so, you know, I'm, 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 I'm built on the backs of people that worked hard in spite of, right? My dad came to America and was successful in spite of being an immigrant, right? Like my great grandparents made a way for my grandmother to get great education and therefore my mom to get a great education. And, you know, and, and, and it's all been built in hard work. And you can tell people to work hard or you can show people how hard work is done, That's right? It. Yep. And my parents did a combination of both, right? They showed me the way and then they reinforced it by the things that they would say to me and to my brothers. And I think, you know, that was very early days of me, of, you know, coming and being mentored, right? Mm-hmm. I was mentored mm-hmm. by my family, these powerful figures in my family. Um, and that also helped me to, to seek out powerful mentors in my career, right? So I went to Wells Fargo. I mentioned Wells Fargo a lot. Elaine Cunningham was, was my supervisor. White woman, dope. I'm talking about, I'd never seen style like hers before. She always, yeah. she was out of a like Neiman Marcus magazine. I'm just like, like, how, like where are you coming from? Uh-huh. Um, and I was her assistant. But she never treated me one like when I tell people this all the time. She gave me my first managerial, you know, training. Mm-hmm. You know, she gave me big buckets of work that wouldn't would, that I wouldn't have gotten other, otherwise. You know, when she was out of the office, it's like Sophie. Sophie speaks for me, right? Yeah, like yeah. there was a sense of autonomy and authority over over my work, um, and a really deep knowledge into hers. And she was powerful, right? Like she was SVP of wholesale loan services for Wells. And it was her that taught me, you know, if you are in a position where you can do something for others, where you see that they can be more than what they are, then lean in on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had several conversations with her, like, you know, Elaine, like, why, why me? Right. And she would always say things like, like, well, why not you? I see myself in you. And I'm like, how can a rich white lady see themselves in me? Right. But because I just, that's not, it's not that you can't, it's just that it wasn't something that came to my mind. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I see myself in you. So I'm going to nurture that, right? She taught me a lot about leadership, a lot about, you know, leading servant leadership, having having authority, but letting every voice in the room matter. Mm. Um, even, even the voice of an executive assistant, right? And then and, and building on that um, and, and putting me in responsible of things um, in, in work streams that absolutely was not in my job description. And so she was a really powerful mentor for me. And she let me know that I could stretch myself, 
right? It didn't, didn't matter what my credential said. I can learn anything. I'm going to stretch myself. And there's somebody here that's supporting me, that's sponsoring me. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, it was really impactful. Right. Um, and then, you know, my career after that had powerful, like male figures and, and female figures alike that really just poured into me and let me know that I could always be beyond whatever my job title was. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's something very powerful about living and being beyond what you think you're capable of, right. Pushing yourself and being challenged, um, and a really great mentor will help pull that out of you. Right. You might say, Oh, I'm just a teacher. Right. And it's like, no, you're not just a teacher, right. You're impacting, you know, hundreds of minds in the lifespan of your career. And that impact is like ripples, right? They like, it keeps going and keeps going. So that's not, you're not just this, right? You're an avenue builder. You're a game changer. You're, you're whatever, you're beyond whatever you think your job description is, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's what really great mentors do for you. They let you know that you're beyond whatever a paper says and they pour into you so that you can pour more into yourself. Um, and so Elaine was, was definitely one of the most powerful for me, but I've had several, you know, supervisors over the course of my career that taught me a lot about leadership. Um, and I, I do credit my parents into helping me identify what a good mentor would look right, look like, how does that feel? Right. Like, I think, you know, that you're being mentored well, when you have this feeling that you're becoming a better self, mm. because of the knowledge that they're giving you, mm-hmm. right feels like when my parents speak to me, even now, my parents are like the most knowledgeable, you know, pair that I have mm-hmm. ever met anytime. It doesn't matter what my issue is or what my concern of, they have a background in it. They always say something that just like makes me feel like, okay, I can do this yeah, um, and go beyond. And I feel like every mentor that I've valued have, has given me that same base level feeling, right? That I can go beyond the paper. I can go beyond the job description or job title um, that I'm capable. I just got to, you know, push through um, and take those challenges head on. So yeah, mentorship played a lot of really big part of my life and and it definitely started at home. Long way to say that. Mike, no, this is so good. And like, I was listening to your story and I'm like, yes, because I had that one woman in my life, that one leader in my life, um, who was also a white woman, Karen Larson, who saw something in me I didn't see in myself mm-hmm. um, and proceeded to put me in rooms and speak my name in rooms, um, give me these assignments to help me further grow and develop. I remember going to Karen to say, Karen, I, I think I want to go to grad school. And at the time I had two designations for HR already. And she was just like, okay, let's do it. So we'll pay for this. And yep. like, talk about the support oh, and the encouragement. And like, you can, you can absolutely do it. Yep. Talk about feeling so empowered. You know what I mean? And you're, you, you said a word and I, and I wanted to like, I I want you to dig a little bit deeper into that for a second, because I know I started this conversation about mentorship, 
But you've mentioned sponsorship and for the people listening, for the community, for the family, talk to us about what sponsorship is. Yeah. For, well, Karen is a, a sponsor, right? Absolutely. <laughs> you stuck with me, by the way. <laughs> right. And that's the difference. Um, a mentor will give you guidance, right? Um, and they will, they'll give you words of wisdom. They'll lean in on their own, you know, paths and understanding. They'll pick up the phone when you call, um, you know, you could think of them as a really good associate, mm-hmm. right? That's a mentor. You could think of a sponsor as a really good friend, right? They're going to like bang for you. They're going to go into a room and when you're not there, they're going to say, oh, um, I, I see this meeting that started, but Christina isn't here. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is and, and this is her expertise. So let's get her. We could we could stop all this right here um, and wait till she's here or they're going to hear about an opportunity and they're going to be like, oh, my God, I have the perfect person for you. This, you know, I, I know so, so sponsors to me, put you in positions and they put you in places mm-hmm. um, and they off the strength of their name mm-hmm. and their reputation because they believe in you and what you can do. And they, and they, they, they always have you in mind, right? Oh, they cool. might not be a person that you're talking to every single day, right? They could be right. But the bigger value is in that when you're not in a room, they'll place you there. And when you're supposed to be in a room, they'll stop what's going on to make sure that your input is heard, right? Like they are honestly like an extension of you almost when you're, when you're not, when you're not around. Um, And your example of Karen to me is a perfect one. My example of Elaine, right, is a Mm -hmm. perfect one. Um, And I think a lot of people get mentorship and sponsorship mixed up, which is why there's there's such a conversation around yep. the difference between the two um, over the last few years. Um, but I think mentors can turn into sponsors, right? A lot of times mentorship start, sponsorship starts with a person getting to know you, understanding your capabilities, you know, y'all having conversations, them getting comfortable with you, to them then feeling like, you know what, this is a person that I should put in spaces and places that make sense, mm-hmm. right? even if they don't, even if they don't see it because I'm an extension of them. Right. So yeah, that's how I would define it. Yeah. That it, it's so critical to make that distinction. And I think to even say that we need both, right. We, do. Like we, we absolutely need both. I think about one of the keys to my own success and that's having both mm-hmm. and having the parents, right. Who were for me, the biggest cheerleader, similar to yours. Um, my my dad, when I tell you like words of wisdom, like he had me feeling like there was absolutely nothing I couldn't do. <laughs> and like this kid. level of confidence, like, no, oh, yeah, what, what's your plan? And I'm like, wow, I just came up with like the most random thing, the loftiest goal. And you're like, okay, what's your plan? Like, you think I can do this? Mm-hmm. He, he firmly believed I could do anything I put my mind to, and there is nothing like having something, someone like that in your corner. Um, man, it, it's so powerful. I'm just thinking of the parallels between your story. And I'm like, I want more people to have sponsors and mentors and, and not everyone has that strong familial support. Yeah. Um, but my hope is that they will be intentional about building that community, even outside of home. I love that you said that because I, I think we, 
think about all the disadvantages of of you know our community and our network especially when we're trying to build be entrepreneurs use our voice whatever mm-hmm. right? trying mm-hmm. to amplify we always think about the disadvantages but i think one of the really powerful advantages that i know of with you know black and brown founders specifically is our ties to like home and family yeah. right yeah and every everybody is not is not lucky enough to have you know you know great you know fathers and mothers and all that things like ours i'm not there's no blanket statement here but i do think in you know minority communities our sense of family is mm-hmm. strong and we we can lean on you know, the elders yes. to advise and to give confidence where they may not have had it, right? So where my grandmother might've thought about her skin tone and her skin color and all, you know, and all of these things because of X, Y, and Z during segregation, like for me, she made sure to make, to make, let me know that like I was, I was beautiful and that I was smart and I was important and gave me these affirmations because she wanted me to be strong, right? The same thing for my dad. Like he still calls me princess to this day. And I, I, you know, like I'm 35 and it's still my favorite thing to hear. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> always be somebody's princess to always be someone's child and to know that there's protection there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, my parents might not have a basement for me to start a company and they might not be able to front the bill of, you know, the things that I'm trying to build, like that can be perceived as a disadvantage, but I can always go home to mom and dad. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. I always have a place to go to um, when times get hard and times get tough. Like my mom will drive all the way from Richmond, Virginia to DC to wash my clothes. If I'm having a really bad week, right? Like there's a sense of family that is really, really powerful. And when it's done right, you know, you're able to have a level of confidence that will suit you well in a hard knock world. Mm. And that's an advantage of, of our communities that we often overlook because we see the network and the money and the Bill Gates, you know, garages and, you know, everybody who's building in their parents' garages as like the only pathway or the only way like support looks like in this game. But we have to reframe the narrative and think about what makes us powerful. Mm -hmm. And I do think that our family units is is one of them, that that it really is a strong advantage for us. Um, And leaning, leaning in on that, you know, as a source of, of confidence and strength mm-hmm. is just as powerful as, you know, our counterparts, you know, with, with money and, and, you know, other privileges, right? Like we have some too. Yeah. Yeah. We certainly do. Sophie. And I'll tell you last week, I wasn't feeling well and, and the week before. Um, and my mom who lives about 40 minutes away, there are really only two stoplights, um, but she is deep in the sticks. And uh, she decided she was going to fix a pan of macaroni and cheese and a very large pan, might I add, and buy four, no, six containers of orange juice for her baby daughter. And she brought it to my house. My mom is 75, by the way. So she was in the kitchen cooking the mac and cheese, bringing all the orange juice. And I thought, this is so awesome. Right. To have this support. She's not throwing money at me. She baked the mac and cheese. Yeah. She baked the mac, the comfort I needed 
to then get up and continue to pursue my passions. And by the orange juice, because you need a vitamin C, honey. <laughs> three things of pineapple orange and three things of straight orange with pulp. Um, because I need it all of that. It cures everything that ails you, by the way. So does Vicks. But anyway, um, <laughs> like that family unit. And again, and like you mentioned, it looks different for everyone. Not everyone has the traditional mom and dad to provide that support. But as a community, yeah. my goodness, my goodness, we, we have so much um, deeply rooted support for each other. Yeah. And, and we need to recognize that. We do. And there's there's power in it. There's power to draw from. We talked about energy earlier um, and it's just transferable, yeah. right? Like energy is an exchange and you have to draw from the power that's around you. And I don't necessarily think, you know, in this space, especially in this entrepreneurial space, we think about drawing power from our advantages, mm. um, but we have them, you know, no matter what. The statistics, yeah. we, we do have them and yeah. we should draw from them um, in order to be, you know, our best selves. Mm-hmm. So. Wow. This is good. Like, I, I really don't want this conversation to end because I, I'm thinking about so many people who need to hear this, right? Who mm. need to understand what their source of strength will look like and can look like and be intentional about that. But then also to say, you know what? I've got to be determined. It's got to start from within as well. Um, talk to me about Good Vibe because when I, I looked at the numbers and I thought, holy crap, did she raise that much? And like, how, right? Like, how did you do that, right? Because talk about success in a way that we don't often see it in our communities. So Sophie, please tell me, first of all, tell us what good find is. I know, but tell us what good find is. And then talk to us about their journey to success as the co-founder and CEO. Yeah. So good find itself is an all-in-one platform for, you know, mobile businesses. And we really lean in on our relationships and partnerships with our, you know, on the B2B side. So everything that we do, and I do mean everything, is to increase, you know, the visibility and the profitability of, you know, food truck owners and operators, but even beyond that, all all mobile vendors, anybody who you know, can move their business from from place to place. You know, we're the technology for you. Um, from a consumer side, we're a safe place to pay for um, the goods and services of these vendors, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're looking for really great Lebanese food or really great Nigerian food or really good Asian food, right? Like, oh my goodness, um, food truck owners have it and we're here to make it easy for you to find them multiple times, as well as to pay for them with ease, um, knowing that your privacy um, is protected. Uh, so that's that's what the company does, right? My experience raising on something that is, you know, fintech and impact has been an interesting one. Um, and I, I am one of the like luckier you know, founders, like I know, like sometimes I'm like, oh man, like, you know, I have 
a lot of white male founder friends, like very close friends, and they've raised like 10, 15, 20 million, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, man, you know, I've, I've, I've just raised three so far. Yes. Um, I'm not done yet. But in this community, right, like when I'm thinking about how many other, you know, African-American women specifically are in this space, like our numbers are still not high enough to be statistically significant. Mm-hmm. Right? And so there's something to be said about, you know, an achievement of this nature. And I really do thank the VCs who have invested in my company, who believes in our mission, as well as our path to profitability that's gotten me here. Right. Um, So I'm backed by three incredible VCs. Um, Well, four incredible VCs now and one family fund that, um, just, just believe in the mission and, and what we're, what we're trying to do, um, getting here wasn't easy. Right. I, just like anyone, I got a ton of no's, um, those no's made me, I, so actually went out for VC, um, got a lot of hard questions that I knew the answer to, but I didn't answer correctly. Mm. And there's a, in in this, in this industry, in, in, in raising, and this is just a, a tip, like you need to not only invest in the knowledge of your company, but you need to invest in understanding how to translate that into VC, right? They use certain mm. terminology, um, these certain ter- terminology, they're looking for certain pathways. And if you're not speaking to those things, they're not going to, they're quickly like, okay, well, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't the things for me to invest in. Mm-hmm. Why? It's not because they your business isn't good, but it's because they're evaluating a bunch of companies, right? And they need a central metric in, in order to figure out what makes a company good and what makes a company bad because they have to decide, am I going to invest in the diligence of this company or not? Mm-hmm. So it's your job as a founder and I wish I knew this before when I first went out for money. It's your job as a founder to understand what those words are, to, to immerse yourself in, in the technology, to, you know, see, to go out to someone and say, hey, I know I might not be a fit, but do you mind if I pitch for you and you give me some feedback? Mm-hmm. Like, what am I wrong? Like, why, when you get rejected, I used to always say, like, I don't take any rejection at heart because one thing is for sure and two things is for certain. I'm a work harder. Yeah. <laughs> than anyone. And I'm going to get this done no matter what. And so for me, no's are just a lesson on how I can get better to get a yes. Right. Mm -hmm. And when I get the yes, I'm going to get the right yes. And I can promise that person that I'm going to return right on their investment because Mm -hmm. I, I believe in what we're doing. And so understanding, like understanding that and getting those no's and being like, okay, you're saying no because X. All right, now I know I need to do this. Okay, you're saying no because of Y. Okay, I need to do this. You're mm-hmm. saying no because of Z. And you start to figure out patterns. Um, and then you know how to talk about your company better. But you also know what metrics you need to go after in yeah. order to raise. And so very early on, I got a bunch of no's. And we raised money by like pitch competitions. We, we were really good pitchers, win pitch competitions. Um, and then once we started to grow at a rate that 
remin- that reminded us of what VCs were telling us that we were looking, they were looking for, then we went back out mm. for venture, right? So that traction was really important. Now, I will say this. The facts of the matter is, I know a bunch of founders who've never had traction before, who just had a, a great idea, and they went to one of the really great schools in the world, and they had a really great network, and they got VC like that, oh. right? That was not my story. My right. story was, I went out for VC. I got a whole bunch of no's. I learned from that experience. Once I started to see the patterns that the VCs had told me that they needed to see, I went back out and got lucky. Mm. Right? Um, but I was ready. Yeah. Right. Always a little bit of luck, I think, in in this process, because it's 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 like a relationship. You ever heard when people say um, like the right person at the wrong time is yes. the wrong person? You heard that one? Yep. Yep. Same thing. The right VC at the wrong time, the wrong VC, period. Wow. If you have what they need, then it's not a match. And likewise, if they don't have what you need, then it's not a match. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of go on these pathways until you find a match. And then that match can propel you to something something new. And so um, the investors that I have, they, they know that fintech and impact don't have to be mutually exclusive. They know that you can have a path to profitability and do it ethically. They know that you know, investing in, because it's not just me as a, as a black founder that my, that my investors are investing in. They're investing in the literally most diverse segment of the restaurant industry, Mm, right? Yeah. What it is. And so they're also, they also understand the, the ripple effect that they're making by helping to provide affordable technology to people that are underbanked and underserved, Mm -hmm. right? And we're all on a ride together. The thing about it is, and this is, and this is something that my journey has taught me as well. My journey to getting where I am is like, even when you have impact, it doesn't need to be an impact narrative, right? Like we are not an impact company. Yeah. We are a fintech company that's helping an impactful community, right? To invest in me is to invest in a a good business, Mm -hmm. right? But also it means investing in a segment that could be so much more if we, if, if, if for, or, but for like better tech Mm -hmm. Mm. trust that they can afford. And so, you know, that's the story that I tell to VCs because it's, what I'm passionate about is what I love. And then we dive deep in, in, into the numbers, et cetera. But for, for me, it, it, just like anything, it wasn't, it, it wasn't a linear path. Like my, my journey was getting knocked down and just getting back up mm-hmm. um, and, and doing that over and over again. I'm still doing that. Right. Like um, the, the company has to has to grow. It has to sustain itself. It has to, you know, continue. And so I'm going to continue to be, you know, in the ring where where sometimes, you know, I'm I'm getting knocked down, and other times I'm the champion. Um, and I'm fine with both sides of the coin. Mm-hmm. Right? Like both sides of the coin are acceptable to me because of the lessons that I've learned. I think a lot of being an African-American woman in this, on this journey, 
and I know that's, you know, who we're speaking, you know, to in large, you know, in large part, mm-hmm. like a part of it is endurance, right? Like just the ability to keep going when sometimes the path feels untraveled, when it feels futile, like when you feel like, you know, alone. <laughs> is lost, when you feel alone. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh. I just had a conversation with, with one of my really good friends. Um, and I was like, she's like, how are you? And I was like, I feel lonely. Um, mm-hmm. and she was just like, what? I see that. I, I, I see that often. And I feel that actually often along this path. So yeah, loneliness is a real thing. It's, it's a real thing. And mm-hmm. it's, and even when you're the closest people to you want to help, mm-hmm. they can't really combat that feeling, right? Yeah. That because loneliness is a personal, it's a personal feeling, it's a personal state. It's something that you have ownership over on yourself. Um, and it's really hard to bring people along. Like it's hard, even if you have founder friends, right? Like yeah. you still feel lonely trying to make something out of nothing, trying to have people believe in what you know to be true, right? It's it's nothing worse than like knowing that what you're doing is the right thing, yeah. knowing that you're attacking it the right way and having to convince someone of that because you already know, right? It's like, yeah. why don't you know? Like, what, what? like, why do I have to convince you? I'm telling you, I'm telling you, yeah. this is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> right? um, but you still have to do that and 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 it and it's and it's lonely. It can be it can be it can be really lonely. And so, I mean, I'm always like winded road answers. But for me, on on my journey has been a lonely one, but it's been a successful one mm-hmm. because I've I'm backed by people who understand what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Um, and as I continue to to grow in this industry, um, my hope is that I'm going to continue to be backed by people who understand inherently what we're trying to do and what we're trying to build for. Um, and that they're on, you know, they're on this journey with me, right? Like in tandem, yeah. like they're not trying to rush the journey, but they know that it's not a slow one, right? Like, mm-hmm. it, like we're at the right pace. Yeah, um, There's something to be said about that. And so a lot of, a lot of luck, a lot of preparation, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of no's, but, but on the other side, you know, I have successfully raised venture and I hope I continue to, um, as long as I put the, put the, put the work in. Right. But there's no formula to it. Right. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you, like, I, I wrote a list of a hundred VCs and that right. right. that's that, that wasn't, that wasn't my path. Like my path was, you know, I went into an accelerator. I got a network. Like this network did said this. Some of those things are right. Some of those things are wrong. I went out, had to go back to the drawing board. Right? Like it was like it was very like left, yeah, right, yeah, left, right, like you know, straight steps. It just wasn't. Um, and every time I read an article, the article is all about the same three or five steps into venture capital. And I, I call bullshit on mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. Um, because every founder I know, we've all raised money differently. That's it. White, black, brown, it don't matter. Yeah. You you mentioned something, um, kind of accepting the nose, right? And in my head, I think about, 
back when I was a sales coach years ago and how I would train financial advisors. It was so funny. It was like, how many no's can you get today? Because if you're getting the no, that means you've picked up the phone and you've made a phone call. That means you've done your homework. You've picked up the phone. You've reached out to someone you've tried, Mm -hmm. right? How many no's can you get today? And then what lessons are we going to learn from those no's? Like welcome the no, have a day of no's because that means you're still in it. That means you're still giving it your all, right? Do you need to be more prepared? Do you need to do more research, right? Learning from the no's. So like, not just accepting them, but like welcoming them, inviting them. Like, you know what? Can I get a no today? Because that means I was in front of someone and I was able to share my story, right? And honestly, you just don't want the wrong person to say yes. Yeah. This is people are so big on yeses because it makes you feel good. It gives you this sense of validation. And I always compare things to relationships because people just understand relationships, right? But it's like, wanting to be like people are in a relationship because they want to be in a relationship, right? And they wonder every day why they're miserable and why it doesn't feel like the dream that they had, but they stay in it because they're like, oh, I want a relationship, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That's the most miserable state of being to me, to be in a situation that you've longed for and to be unhappy. That like, just tell me no, (laughs) right? Yeah. Rather get a no from the wrong person than a yes from a wrong person. It just doesn't make sense. It's painful. It's just as painful as a relationship. So it's like, think about that. Like if you're mm. in that, mindset, then like no's don't feel as painful anymore because what's for you is for you. Mm-hmm. Don't get no's, but if you're persistent, somebody is going to say yes. Somebody's going to get the vision. And those are the people that you want. You want people to be advocates. You want people that understand the vision. You want to be in a good relationship. Frankly, I'm really good, like really close to all my investors. I know a lot of founders who can't wait to get their investors off the cap table, period. I do have that problem because I got the right yeses. They weren't forced, Mm -hmm. right? Like I remember every moment with the investors that I have where it clicked, like there would be times where I'm talking to them about the business and then they would be like, yeah, because you could do this, this, and this. And, and like that, that'd be the next thing that I was about to tell them. Right. They just got it. I'm like, yup. how do I, and I mean, I have emails to my co-founder, like, oh my God, did you just hear her, like hear her say that or hear him say that? Like we need them on the cap table. Like by any means, that's the person, Right. Um, and they said, and they said, yes. And that's just like a good relationship. Don't have to force it. Problems come, but you know, you can work through it because y'all are aligned, Mm -hmm. thoughtfully synchronized, right? This sense of being equally yoked, et cetera, whatever, no matter what your belief system is. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, you do not want a yes from the wrong person, period. So every time you get a no, think of that as a gift. Yes. Right. And then find out why they said no, because quite frankly, whatever that is, you can learn from and you can be better, more prepared for the person that says yes. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's, there's so much about life and relationships that's synchronous to that. Right. Like being prepared, learning from your failures, learning from failed 
things that happen, past traumas, whatever, mm-hmm. getting on the other side and being prepared for the right person. Same thing in business. Wow. You know, like, wow. Wow. I, I, I've never heard it quite put like that, but I like that. Um, I like it a lot. And and I'm sitting here like, you have shared so many nuggets, so many gems, so many, the, the words of wisdom. And I don't know if you even realize it, right? That just pour from you, Sophie, based on, I, I don't want to just say your experience because I think it's just who you are and how you were raised, right? Um, so I'm, as someone a little bit older, right? My, my oldest is 24. So I'm, I'm probably a little bit older than you, maybe. <laughs> Love it. Um, so that's all that matters. Yeah. But I'm, I'm feeling this sense of like energy and empowerment and I'm, I'm yeah, like I, I want to find the words and I'm not typically at a loss for words, but like, this is like, man, like, let's, let's do this. Let's continue to make this impact. Um, and I think about this podcast and I've called it the keys to the office. And I'm like, I just want to help someone, right. Get from point A to point B, you know, someone who's like, not certain, like I want to do this and maybe, but I don't see anyone who looks like me doing it. And I don't know how to do it. Um, if we could just give them the keys, give them an idea of what the potential path could look like for them to success. Um, that said, like, if, if you put a bow on it, what would yeah. you say for someone listening now, looks like me, looks like you, um, and they want to get into FinTech, they have an idea for a startup. And, and quite frankly, they may not have even labeled it as FinTech at this point, mm-hmm. um, but they have this vision, they have this idea. What's that one major key to success, something they can start thinking about or doing now that they should just soon as they stop listening, run with? You know, I would say go at it the Nike way, right? Like just do it. Ooh. There's really something powerful that like, and I'm gonna quote Drake and I <laughs> couldn't drink on the podcast, Lord. <laughs> it's definitely five o'clock on a Wednesday. <laughs> um, because usually I would never like my investors watch this, but to take it. <laughs> they yes. Like, yes. They're, they're a great bunch. So they actually do like watch the podcast and stuff like, oh my goodness. But <laughs> to quote Drake, right? Like the best advice is not to take any advice, mm. right? None. You can learn from people. You can watch their paths. You can see their steps. And the reality is it's never going to be quite like yours. Mm-hmm. So just do it right because some people will advise you not to and you'll live with a list of regrets some people will tell you to go for it in the way that they went for it and you'll fail because you did it their way some people you know what i'm saying yeah like, yeah doesn't it doesn't matter right if i can impart anything on anyone it's like if you have an idea if it's on your heart if you feel like it can work like go out there and do it if you fail fail on your own merits if you succeed succeed on your merits be informed, but do not be obsessed with anyone's pathway, with anyone's abilities, because mm-hmm. that starts to make you compare yourself and, to them, right? And then they become your metric. They become your goalposts. And quite frankly, that's limiting. 
I don't metric or goalpost to anybody because I'm not limiting myself. Like I'm my own, I'm in my own lane. I'm in my own competition. There's enough everything in the world for me. So there's really nothing that anybody can tell me other than like, so this is how I did it. And I'm like, okay, cool. I see how you did it. I love that for you. I'm coachable enough to take what I know will work mm. for me. I'm also coachable enough to, to leave what I need to leave on the wayside. Mm-hmm. I don't take any advice, right? Yeah. I am informed by people I respect. Mm. You see what I'm saying? I do. I don't take anything wholesale. Taking anything wholesale, you're not living your own life. You're not being authentic. Yeah. And I refuse to do that. So best advice, Drake said it, don't take no advice. Go out there, do it the Nike way. Be informed by as many things as you can be informed by so that you are moving in an educated way. Mm -hmm. But take the bits and the pieces that are going to work for you. Because at the end of the day, whether you succeed or whether you fail, you need to do it on your own merits or you will regret that you did it on somebody else's. That's it. Wow. Wow. Not just mic drop if people even still say that, but like kick the mic off the stage. We're done. Yeah, we're done. We just did it. We did it. That's it. Sophie, thank you. This this is like, when I tell you I'm pumped, like, and I shouldn't be pumped at five o'clock because it's going to impact my sleep tonight, but I'm pumped to like, not just get this message out there, but to like, for myself, right? This is one of those episodes that I will listen to repeatedly because just to hear you and like to feel your energy even though we're not face to face in person but like to get that energy through the screen right now um like I'm I'm like okay wow wow so thank you oh my gosh thank you and honestly like the thing that I love about seeing women, women of color specifically, like build out podcasts is that it amplifies so many of our voices, right? You can think about how many people want to say something and they just don't know where to start. They want to bring people together and they just don't know how to form like community. Mm -hmm. And so kudos to you for being able to build out a space that speaks to women, women of color, and probably men too, right? We have some. All are welcome. Oh, um, but I I love I love seeing you know entrepreneurship in this way. I love when people are amplifying amplifying voices um, that are muted. Mm-hmm. A lot of ways for far too long. For far too long, mm-hmm. and quite frankly, like there's there's value like that energy exchange that you're talking about. I I'm having fun talking because I'm learning stuff from you too. Like your energy is so good. What you're trying to do here is so amazing. Um, so keep it up. Right. I, I think it's powerful to be a black woman that's building a platform, right. In any capacity, whether it's tech or whether it's media doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Right. It's just, it's just important that, that you're out here doing it. So um, I'm humble to be here and, and really thankful that you, you know, taking the time to have this exchange with me. Oh, Sophie, RBA in the house. Uh, <laughs> this was awesome. Listen, we will catch up soon. Um, yeah. but thank you again. Thank you. 
If you're hearing this message, you have listened to the entire episode. And for that, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please don't forget to subscribe. Leave us a review and check out our website at www.thekeystotheoffice.com. We look forward to connecting with you in a future episode. Until then, go be amazing.